morning, Crosswalk. Thanks for showing up today. I deeply appreciate it. I've got some, what I think will be interesting stuff for you and hopefully uh, helpful. I liked uh, the meditation today and want to cap on that just a little bit. Um, the cool thing about being in the flow with God, we talk about God's plan. And another way to think about plan, because sometimes plan in our minds, we think of fixed plan, like it's, it's already set in stone, you can't do anything about it. And really a, a more nuanced way of thinking about it is the plan is more of a vision for our lives. And that's really good news. Because if you're honest about how well you've been in walking in that plan, <laughs> there have been some moments in the plan where you're like, I don't think that was God's plan. <laughs> I think that was my plan. <laughs> and I screwed up the plan a little bit. And the good thing is it's just like a GPS device in your car or on your phone. Every time we do that, it's like God's up there recalculating and uh, kicks out a new invitation because it's not a fixed plan, it's a vision for our lives. And that vision, like Jenny said, is all about being in this flow uh, of the Spirit of God. And when we are, uh, we find out a lot of things are a lot easier, we experience a deeper peace, deeper meaning in our lives, and we see beauty uh, unfold all around us, even in the dark times. Before I jump into this uh, teaching, uh, would you pray with me? So God, as we are with you in this space, you who have invited us here today, we who have accepted the invitation to come, may we continue to be open to the flow of your spirit, that you would energize us, speak deeply to us, maybe blow our minds, maybe soothe our hearts. You know what we need, God. You know what we need more than we know what we need. And so we, we release our need to decide what needs to happen with the rest of this service today. Help us, God, in our, in our desire and our longing to know more, to go deeper, to be more united with you. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I came across an interesting article uh, this week. Uh, it was written in Forbes, no, not Forbes, Esquire magazine. And the article was written by a guy uh, named Paul Kicks, and he was doing a story on clergy in particular, and one in particular that he was speaking about, his name was Hunt Priest who was a UCC uh, pastor, I think somewhere up in the Seattle area. And this guy named Hunt Priest, uh, he was a second career pastor, which is actually how most of us are anymore. I was one of the rare birds that right out of college, I went in to get my master's uh, at seminary. And most people nowadays, uh, they have a full career almost, and then they kind of sense God wooing them into ministry and say yes to that. So even when I was in seminary so many years ago, uh, I was the young buck. I was, you know, I was, what, 21, you know, when I entered seminary. Most of the people were at least twice my age. It was a really interesting experience and rich experience, and I'm so happy for it. Well, Hunt Priest was one of these guys. He was in advertising or something uh, in the early part of his life, and at 38 years old, he goes back to seminary, 
and heads to a church uh, out on uh, somewhere in Seattle area, one of the islands, I think. Um, and once he got there and was in uh, the rigors of ministry for a while, he was surprised to find that his faith was kind of fading and his passion for the whole church thing was just kind of waning. And he couldn't quite figure out why. He just figured, you know, the, the liturgy, which is sort of what we do in worship, that's the formal word for the flow of our worship and our design and the elements and all that, just felt like they were kind of rote and weren't really doing much for him, didn't seem to be doing a lot for anybody else. It just kind of lost that touch that wooed him into ministry in the first place. And Paul Kicks, the guy who uh, wrote the article, felt the same way. Uh, he had grown up in church and was kind of going to church with his wife. I think he's maybe somewhere in Nashville or something like that. And his wife and he would go and take the kids because they wanted the kids to be, you know, in a loving environment with community and all that. But in terms of God, he kind of didn't know anymore. I uh, wasn't really sure if there was anything out there really. And of course, when you're not quite sure if God even exists, that complicates your faith practices because you're not quite sure if you should bother with any of it. You wonder if you should even pray at all, and praying can kind of feel disingenuous. It's like I'm kind of going through the motions, and I'm wondering, have any of you ever been there? Has that been your experience? My guess is that probably right now, this is true for some of you. I know that every time I take a group through uh, an amazing course based on a book called The Heart of Christianity, <laughs> it has the effect of deconstructing people and their faith. It helps them in that process, and people are usually exhilarated as they're learning that there are new ways to think about it because the old ways they've been thinking about, you know, had stopped working for, for them. And so they're finding out that there are new ideas, but invariably what happens, sometimes during the course, sometimes right after the course, is people start to realize that their whole faith basis has changed. And it's like very difficult for them to move forward. I was talking to one friend who went through this, and um, you know, she had the clarity of mind to say, I feel like I'm grieving a loss because she was and, and still is as she's navigating her way forward. There's this weird in-between time where you let go of things that worked at one time but don't work anymore, ideas, ways of thinking of God that worked once, don't anymore, and in that in-between time, I, I use the image of it's like, it's like walking the Golden Gate Bridge in a dense fog. Anybody ever done that before? It is a trip. You know the bridge is there, but you can't see 10 feet in front of you, let alone the pillars that are holding this thing up. You are walking in faith that your memory <laughs> said, there is still a bridge here, <laughs> and I really hope it's still there once I get out to the middle. This happens to us. It's happened to me. It's a, it's a struggle that is real, uh, and it's important. It's part of the process, and by the way, if that's ever happened to you, you are in great company. Uh, when uh, Mother Teresa uh, passed away many years ago, uh, they dug up and found her journals. Now, you know what they found in her secret personal writings that probably were not supposed to be looked at? <laughs> they found her writing about her struggle to believe, 
wondering, God, are you even there? Now, some people, when they read that Mother Teresa was doubting and wondering, um, they ran with it, and they were like, see, told you there's no God. If Mother Teresa doesn't even think there's a God, then what's that mean for the rest of us? But it's the wrong way to think. She was a human being who struggled in one of the most difficult environments that the world knows, even today, Calcutta. But to admit her struggle meant to open herself up to the more. I've certainly been there throughout my life, multiple times in my life. I grew up in the church, and yet there was a time in high school where I wasn't quite sure if there was a God at all, and I was clinging to the, to the, to the faith of my parents and grandparents without them knowing that I was struggling, right? Because you don't share anything when you're in high school, especially not with your parents. So anyway, um, I was struggling with this stuff and kind of came back in a rebound. God kind of showed up in a new way, which was great, but then my own struggles and theology shifted over time. I know what this process is like, and it's hell. And sometimes it makes us want to just drop everything. But it wasn't just Mother Teresa. Jesus struggled. Jesus stretched in his thinking. And every time, I'm sure it was difficult. Sometimes we think that Jesus came right out of the womb, and he knew everything. Not true. You can see his progression in the Gospels. He had to deal with some cultural racism that existed and was called on it by the very person he was insulting and learn from that. He had to overcome uh, all sorts of ways of seeing the world that were prejudiced and hurtful, and he did. But we can't forget what he said while he's hanging on the cross, quoting Psalm 22. <laughs> Jesus, the one that we don't know if anybody has, I don't think anybody has been as anointed as this guy was by the presence of God. And he on the cross is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me in agony? You're in good company if you struggle at times. Every disciple uh, struggled at times. Uh, Peter, uh, the apostle, uh, classic examples. In one scene, uh, he is the first to declare that Jesus, we recognize you as the anointed one that we've been waiting for. Five minutes later, uh, Jesus talks about his vision, which is going to include going to Jerusalem, which is going to be very dangerous and would get him killed. And Peter immediately forgets all that anointed stuff and challenges and says, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and then Jesus gives Peter that wonderful little verbal uh, slap in the face. Get behind me, Satan. You don't know what you're talking about. Later on at the Last Supper, uh, Peter is declaring his utmost adoration for Jesus. I love you so much, I will go to the death for you. And Jesus says, oh, Pete, I hear you, man. I love you. Love you too. But tonight, that's just not how it's going to roll. And that very night, you know, you saw the movie, Peter denies knowing him three times in a row. Right? This happens. This is the human experience. Every great character in the Bible had their moments of doubt because this whole thing is a process. This relationship with God is a process. I want to tell you that if your relationship with God has not changed in your entire life since you were a kid, your faith is not faith at all. Your faith is dead. Because if this is a relationship, it must ebb and flow. It is constantly moving forward. And so it's a challenge for us to wonder, well, where might this thing go next? And I have to tell you that our beliefs about God matter. Because if our beliefs about God are off, and in some cases way off, that jacks with everything else. 
It could be that one of the reasons why you struggle to pray is because your vision of God is so maligned, makes God such uh, an enemy of human beings, makes God such a genie in the clouds that you can't even fathom praying to a God like that. And the good news is, your solution may be to think about God differently. That's what this whole series is really helping us get down to, is understand how we think about God, because, as John Cobb writes, how we think about God affects how we pray and what, ex and what we expect our prayers to accomplish. If we pray to a kind of sky God, we are trying to influence some distant and maybe absent being to pay attention to us and act on our behalf. If instead we think of God as already here, God isn't above or outside watching what's going on, but inside taking part, we don't pray then to get God's attention, but to align ourselves with a presence that is already there. We reach out to and through others to a presence that is already working. We aren't pleading with God to do something that God would otherwise be reluctant to do. We start to see prayers answered when we are aligned with God because the prayers that we're asking are aligned with the God who has influence to help those things along. Uh, some of you have prayed to win the lottery before. Uh, some of you husbands have prayed that your wife would finally understand you completely and do your bidding. That probably did not get answered <laughs> in the way you hoped, anyway. <laughs> this happens in life. But sometimes then, when we're still enough and quiet enough and we listen, sometimes the prayers almost bubble up within us. It's almost like we're invited to pray along a certain line. And when we align ourselves with that prayer, it's surprising and amazing how the prayer seems to open up before us. This whole process thing, uh, this, is, this is Paul's journey. Look what he says here. This is at the end of what is called the love chapter, which is a beautiful chapter. He kind of breaks into this thing. And he's geeking out about love. And he says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then, one day, we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then, and he's talking about when our life is complete and we're with God and see everything with great clarity, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Paul's a guy whose theology radically changed. Uh, he, was, he didn't really have so much as faith as much as a doctrinal statement. There's a difference between agreeing about a doctrinal statement and actually being in a relationship with God. He had his doctrinal statement, according to him, straight, and it led him on a murderous path. You know the story. He's on his way to Damascus to round up these ruffian Christians who are heretics and apostates in his mind, and his dream is to bring them back so he can take them to trial. And hopefully, they might get even imprisoned, maybe even killed. That's the kind of mindset that he had. But on the way, he was stopped in his tracks by this divine encounter, Christ resurrected as a bright light, stops him in his tracks, blinds him, and it was only through that act of blindness and hearing that this is the very person, the presence behind this whole movement that Jesus started. It was only through that blindness that he began to see how blind he'd been and started on a journey of slowly 
and thoughtfully deconstructing everything he thought he knew about God, which was extremely legalistic. And toward the end of his journey, he became one of the most inclusive followers and leaders in Christianity. And he often gets quoted uh, inappropriately about keeping women in their place uh, because he had some very specific words for very specific context in the church in Ephesus. It was a big mess. And they had these ultra-legal uh, people that were coming down hard. And so he said, all right, we've got to play that game. So this is how you need to play it here. But at the same time where he's instructing women to keep silent in that particular context, he is excited and fully supportive of a woman pastor in the church of Philippi. So he's way ahead of his time in terms of egalitarian uh, ways of thinking. All the rules, all 615 of the rules, he said, you know what, we can really get rid of most of those. Let's just follow what Jesus said, and let's keep a couple things there to keep us connected to the tradition. But he pretty much abandoned the rest because he knew there was a higher way. All that is to say that we are in process. Jesus himself, who continued to grow throughout his uh, ministry and uh, his understanding of things, uh, in his famous stump speech, uh, which I call, that's what I call his Sermon on the Mount or Sermon on the Plain, depending which gospel you're reading, when he talks about prayer, this is what he says. He says, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. I wonder, however, just to qualify this, I wonder if the more we ask and the more we listen to God, if what we ask for starts to change over time. Because I am sure glad that some of the prayers that I prayed in college never got answered. Really happy about that. Uh, he says, keep on seeking, <clears throat> and you will find Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. He says, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Well, maybe if it's April Fool's Day. I mean, you know, parents can have their liberties. Uh, but No, not really. But, or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly father, remember, this is actually heavenly daddy that he's talking about, give good gifts to those who ask him. Uh, Bruce Epperly uh, agrees with Jesus on this, and he says just this clearly. Prayer changes things. First, it changes those who pray, giving them a wider perspective and transforming enemies into God's beloved children. Second, Prayer changes challenging situations. Prayer can be a tipping point between life and death, health and illness, and success and failure. As many preachers have affirmed, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't. I thought about Epperly's quote here, and this is out of the book that we've been uh, walking through together. And you know, I thought about times when my head gets in the way. Because I'm a theological nerd, uh, I like reading stuff, I like thinking about stuff. And the bummer for me is, is when I can't get it in my head right, it messes up with my capacity to pray. And to be frank, there have been times uh, in my life when I've been so conflicted about my understanding and image of God that the best prayers I could do were just sighs. You know? Size too deep for words. Paul talks about this in the book of Romans. I'm grateful that God was able to join me at least in that prayer. And I thought about Epperly's quote, and I thought, you know, at minimum, um, the, the first person that I hurt in stopping 
my more normal prayer patterns, the first person I hurt was myself. Uh, because when we stop, it's like we're, we're cutting God off uh, from that conversation with us. And it's like I've got to get it through my head. I don't have to understand everything in order to just keep moving forward. So I robbed myself, and who knows, you know, um, what my influence may have done uh, for somebody else. I'm glad that period is over. Uh, but it's a, have you ever been there? I mean, it's a hard, hard space to be in. And to talk about uh, this connection stuff and whether or not our prayers uh, make any difference, um, have a little experiment for us. So I have this doohickey, which got uh, Lauren's attention here. This is called the energy stick. How many of you have one of these at home? I didn't think so. All right, so the energy stick is able to pick up current uh, in the human body because we have electricity running through our body at all times. And so anytime you get uh, the circuit uh, connected, it makes that sound and makes cool lights. We bought this for the children's ministry because they thought it would be cool, and it, it is cool. The cool thing is, is uh, it can, it's not just me, uh, but it can go around. So what I want you guys to do in this table, I want you to hold hands. Okay. And Sal, I want you to grab the other end on that metal part. Woo! Hello, it's working. All right, I want you guys to go across the aisle, uh, hold hands with the next person. Your, you table all the way to Johnny. Uh, let's see if this thing will still work. Give it a shot. All right, back it up, next table. Let's see if we can get this thing to go. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, here we go. Place your bets. All right, looking pretty good. The reality is, is we could line up around this room and all hold hands, and this thing would still buzz off. Uh, a world record has been set with this thing. Well, I don't know if it's a world record. I'd like to call it a world record. Uh, where something like 600 people uh, around a football field were able to connect and found out that the current was running through all of them. Uh, we are people of energy. Uh, if you take seriously quantum physics and what they are teaching us about things on a quantum level, which is a, as small as we're able to get uh, right now, they say that this is a profound way of thinking and it messes with philosophical ideas. Uh, there was a guy who, uh, about a month ago, I haven't had a chance to catch up with him, but he asked me uh, if uh, Alfred North Whitehead, who is the philosopher that gave us process theology, which is about open relation theology, is kind of how we roll here, uh, he was a philosopher and a mathematician, and he wondered if he was influenced by Hegel. Now, Hegelian philosophy, nerding out for just a moment, uh, was all about material. It was about matter. It was about substance and built a philosophical structure around the substance. But what, what Whitehead and others discovered is that reality itself is not, at the end of the day, material, but process. Everything is in relationship with each other. This was well over a hundred years before quantum physics took everything down to the, to the minutest level and realized that while we see concrete and steel and fake wood top stuff on our tables and wood beams and all that, while it looks like material at the closest level, at the, at the quantum level, there is no matter. There is only relationship, 
only relationship of energy. You may think you are flesh and blood, and you are, but way closer than that, you are energy in relationship. So when we think about prayer, we are recognizing that it is not just us in our flesh and blood, but we are joined in a collective of energy in relationship with everyone else, all in process at the same time, all being wooed by God toward the best options available that we can say yes to or we can say no to. We have that option. It is a great risk that God took, but it's there. So when we think about that in terms of a framework for why we would consider prayer and why it would even work, then Marjorie uh, Suhaki, who is a process theologian, um, and you'll hear her a little bit next week, she writes this. She says, prayer changes the way the world is and therefore changes what the world can be. Prayer opens the world to its own transformation. Prayers for healing make a difference in what kind of resources God can use as God faithfully touches us with impulses toward our good given our condition. Those prayers can make the difference between reversing a not yet reversible illness or not. Therefore, God bids us to pray. But God only knows the point of that irreversibility. And in some diseases, it is with the very onset. But what if irreversibility is the case? What then? Shall we stop our prayers for healing? Of course not. For healing comes in many forms. And get this, and there is a health that is deeper than death. There is a health that is deeper than death. So often we confine our thinking of healing to just getting over the physical ailment. You know, at the end of the day, while that is important in the moment, it's not the most important thing to us. It's not. If you know uh, that your life, I I have terrible news for you, uh, but one part of the human condition is mortality. Uh, You've got maybe 130 years max, and most of you don't want to live that long anyway. Uh, You'll be happy to move well into adulthood and senior adulthood, but you know, we had a woman who lived well past 100 in our membership, and every birthday would come around, it was not a happy birthday for Helen. Every birthday when we'd sing happy birthday, she would say, don't sing that song. <laughs> Why is God keeping me here? She did not want to be there anymore because she knew that there was something more important than flesh and blood. It had to do Uh, with a healing within, it had to do with a a sense of connectedness with something that's bigger than ourselves, being connected to love, being held in love, at the end of the day is a much more important thing. So if we are not getting the answer we want, maybe we need to keep on praying because because we're frustrated, because we're feeling like we're lacking in faith. Maybe it's at that moment that we need to. Because God's crapshoot and inviting us into this and joining our energy together and focusing in that that kind of a way with our thoughts, our imagination, our hopes and our dreams, all these things are acts of prayer. We don't know exactly how they will influence the thing that we're targeting, but we know it's going to at minimum affect us. And when we are affected in such a way, we become different people. So we got some major issues going on right now in the world. Uh, 
We had a lot of focus on Ukraine, and we still need to pray for that mess. But now Israel and Gaza, hundreds, thousands of lives are about to go away because of the human failure uh, to figure out ways toward peace together. How can we pray shalom <laughs> into the very region that gave us shalom as a word in the first place? We got to pray. And maybe when we pray, to take it a little closer to home, maybe we think about our own national politics and what a mess that is. Maybe when we pray for our national leaders, maybe it will have an effect on them. But maybe, most importantly, that we can see, it's going to affect us. Maybe when we recognize ourselves and the people that we can't stand in Washington, Maybe it will soften our eyes toward them. Not take, us any, not take any passion out of our steam for wanting to see things happen in our country and peace in our country and our country move forward toward that more perfect union that we dream of. But maybe, maybe our tone has changed. Maybe our vision has changed. Maybe our action and our words are changed. And who knows what that is going to change. When you are changed and become a more loving person, everywhere you go is influenced that much more by love. And the more we pray trying to align ourselves with the presence of God, to be in the flow of the presence of God, the greater likelihood we will be touched by love. It changes things because we are changed at a minimum. Uh, Martha Rowlett says this, How God answers our prayers is beyond our thoughts, and God's ways are not our ways. But we can trust that our prayers give God more to work with and influencing the world for good. Uh, you know, some of the times when I've been in my darkest chapters and I've found myself pleading for God, crying out to God, even in my disbelief, and maybe you've experienced this too, even though I'm, you know, there's no magic wand, there's no genie that grants my wish that I'll be out of my misery for a while, but even in the misery, even in the suffering that I go through at different times in my life because I'm a real human being, there is a presence that gets me through. There's a ground of being, and when I slow, and this is hard to do, right? Because when we're, when we're in the midst of it, it's like it's hard to calm ourselves down. It's hard to pray at that point because our minds are just going nuts over the obsession of whatever is happening to us, whatever that is. But at least in my experience, and I think the experience of many, I'm guessing many of you, that when we finally quiet enough and we're still enough, using whatever means, vehicles that help us get there, we find love. We find what theologians call our ground of being. And it's not a, a placebo to lead us into greater denial about the realities we face, hardly. But it gets us through. It gives us strength that we didn't think that we had, and now we have it. Uh, just this week, uh, I was in stillness and uh, just wanted to be open and thinking and processing, you know, a lot of the stuff in this chapter and my life and, you know, just doing my thing um, like you do. And this song came, just bubbled up into my head. And uh, it's one from a, an artist that died 26 years ago. 
His name was Rich Mullins. And he's one of my favorite artists. He, was, he, he, uh, he was, had an incredibly positive effect on the Christian music industry and many other artists uh, sang his stuff. He was part Native American and leaned into that heritage, helped uh, indigenous people uh, in our country. Um, foundation after he died uh, went to help them and bring arts there and stuff. He's an amazing person. Um, just another little factoid, you know, uh, at some point uh, people in the Christian music industry uh, talked about the 100 uh, most, influential, most influential Christian albums ever produced. Three of his were in the top ten. One of his was number three. Uh, he had great influence. And this particular song that, that just bubbled up from nowhere. I wasn't thinking about Rich Mullins, wasn't thinking about his music. Uh, but man, it, it resonated with me about those times when we're just not sure we can pray, but we really need to. And so this is a song uh, that I hope you'll enjoy. I'm not singing it, so you can, uh, you can breathe easy. <laughs> but hear Rich Mullins in his song uh, called... Uh, which is called Hold Me Jesus. Well, sometimes my life just don't make sense at all. When the mountains look so big, oh, my faith just seems so small. So hold me, Jesus, because I'm shaking like a
Isn't that lovely? Uh, Rich Mullins, he was, uh, he was rare. Uh, he lived a very humble life, uh, even though uh, he certainly had means to do much more uh, in terms of his lifestyle. But he wanted to live in humility. And yet, I'm recognizing, even as I've listened to that song, uh, that while so much of his music and his vision uh, was rooted in a yes to God's vision for his life, uh, the reality is, is that his life may have been prolonged if he'd have listened to God's whisper right before he did not fasten his seatbelt and got thrown from uh, his Jeep as he and a guy were headed toward another concert. And so this is the mix that we're in that uh, we have this, this relationship with God where we can say yes, and sometimes that yes is just simply to pray, even if we feel like we can't pray. Maybe that is the time exactly when we need to pray. Because as Bruce Epperly uh, wrote, my prayers create a space for personal and global transformation. I pray with my heart and I act with my hands. And sometimes... We only find out what to do in terms of acting with our hands after we've prayed with our heart. In fact, that's probably the better way to go. Otherwise, we're probably going to be asking for forgiveness a lot <laughs> after we do something stupid <laughs> with our hands or our mouth or our feet or whatever. So what I'd like to do, two things that we're going to do. Um, want to spend some time in prayer, uh, just giving you the opportunity to pray in the direction that you feel led by the very Spirit of God. And then uh, after a few moments of that, um, and I'll give you some framework for how to do that, then we're going to roll through the classic uh, Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. We're going to take it a chunk at a time because it was meant to be a model for prayer, not, not just simply something we memorize and say at the end of 12-step meetings, right? It's, a, it's something deeper than that. It's a way of thinking about life. And so I'm going to take you through a meditation that walks us through that. One of the things that, um, that we don't like that Jesus said is he talked about loving our enemies and praying for our enemies. And a lot of us actually love to pray for our enemies because we'd love for them to die, right? I mean, if we're honest, there are certain folks that we'd really like to just go away. And sometimes that's, what, that's the prayer we'd love to pray. And we're conflicted and praying for somebody that we are in discord with or can't stand or we can clearly see they're causing a lot of problems in the world. The dictators of the world, the people who are, you know, hurting millions of other people, um, you, you fill in the blank. There's lots of folks that might come to mind. But when we are praying for their well-being, when we're praying for their well-being, we are not praying for the axe murderers to find a sharper axe. We're not praying for the dictators to do a more efficient job of hurting their people. We are praying that more shalom comes into their lives, that they become more whole and mature, formed by love. And when we pray that prayer, which is really for the deepest well-being, especially of the people that we are having a hard time with, that changes our vision, and it's really our highest hope, honestly. Because if if we just want them dead, then that's just the same as what we're praying against. You know what I mean? We become the very person and the character that we're trying to get away from. But if we pray well-being and shalom for a person, well, that changes us. 
And maybe that kind of energy toward them, maybe that connectedness, maybe that will have some effect on them as well. So um, maybe, maybe it's not an enemy that you need to pray for at all. Maybe you have somebody on your mind that you deeply love and are praying for something for them. Maybe it's a, it's a wish that you're hoping that God will uh, help foster and, and navigate around. Whatever it is, maybe it's for somebody to silence their phone. I don't know what it is, but it could be, could be any number of things. So let's just be still for a moment and uh, give us time to pray. And I'm trusting you, God, that your spirit is at work in this space, uh, that you love us, that you called us here, wooed us here. We said yes, and we're saying yes again. So God, lead us now. Woo us. Lure us. What do we need to pray for this morning? It might be just the thing that's top of mind. It might be something that we need to sit for a second before it bubbles up. But take a moment in silent prayer and pray. God, collectively, we take a moment uh, to pray for um, what is now war between Israel and Gaza. We pray that cooler heads prevail. We pray that the people themselves, not the military leaders, not the government officials, but that the people themselves on both sides just say enough and stop. We pray that the people who are in positions to influence the leadership, we pray that your spirit be at work. May the bloodshed be minimized because of your work through those that are in that region, through people who have numbers to dial and calls to make. And we continue to pray for Ukraine and what is happening there from the first moments that that happened, we're praying for cooler heads to prevail and we still pray for that. There is no need for more bloodshed. We pray for our own nation. We pray for our government officials. We pray that they'll get beyond uh, partisanship and look for dialogue and respectful relationship to navigate our country forward. We pray for healing in our country, for the things that have gone unaddressed, things that we don't like to talk about because they're hard. God, in a, in a country, in a time, in a culture that seems to prefer simple, simplistic answers to complex problems. 
Give us a spirit of curiosity to wonder what is going on. What has led us to now? Give us ears to hear your spirit. Give us eyes to see the direction you're taking us toward. Give us hearts that are willing to do the hard things that will lead to peace, equality, freedom, equity for all. We pray for this church, Crosswalk, this incredible experiment that you've been in relationship with, and we're grateful for who we are, who we've become, and who we're becoming. But we pray for this place. We pray that your spirit continue to lead us in curiosity and creativity, that we might, in even greater ways that we can imagine, be brighter and brighter lights of hope and love and grace. Because that's what you offer, and that's what you invite us uh, to proclaim. And now, congregation, I ask that you open your eyes and let me take you through uh, the Lord's Prayer, maybe in a different kind of way. And so I invite you to say the part of the Lord's Prayer and then just read, as I say, the part below it. And we'll reflect on it for a moment before we go to the next frame. So let's say it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So we join Jesus in addressing God literally as a loving daddy recognizing God's purity, holiness, and goodness. This is your and my ground of being. Through COVID, this first line of the Lord's Prayer got me through. When it felt like all hell was breaking loose, I just reminded myself, we are a part of something much, much bigger. And that much bigger thing is love. And you are too. Join with me. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as it is in heaven. In light of God's identity as love, we align ourselves with wanting love to permeate everyone and everything as the only hope for personal, relational, political, and environmental healing. This statement is an invitation for us to say yes. Do you want the kingdom to come? Give us this day our daily bread. So we look to God for nourishment, grateful for the fact that we have literal food, wanting to do our part to provide for hunger relief in ways great and small, and also being open to a bread for our souls that is more than literal. Spiritual nourishing. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. How are we punishing others by holding on to unforgiveness? Let me read that again. How are we punishing others by holding on to unforgiveness? Are we aware that our experience of grace is tied to our gracefulness? Not that God withholds grace from us, 
grace is completely available to us in full at all times, but that our holding debt over others limits our capacity to receive and live in grace. For the people that you struggle to forgive, are you feeding them rat poison expecting them to die? Are you feeding yourself the rat poison expecting them to die? That's what unforgiveness does. Release yourself to grace that you might be free and maybe they will too. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. We admit before God that we can be suckers and are stating that we, that we only want to be wooed by the love of God, by love itself. We're suckers for ego. We're suckers for pride. We're suckers by all that the culture throws at us, tempting us day in and day out. And we're saying to God, help us, <laughs> because we're suckers. And we need help. And we don't want to find ourselves in evil, but we hope that if we do, if we give in to it, we're praying for help to get out of it. And God always wants us out of it and will help us find a way. And finally, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We want to build our lives on true community, that which is the greatest power and that which is gloriously eternal which is love. May it be so. Thanks for coming today. I hope you had a good experience. May you walk in love. May you continue to pray even if you don't feel like it. And may your life and the lives of others be changed because you did. Thanks for coming. See you next week.